Today's episode of The Dave Chang Show is brought to you by me, Dave Chang. I have a book, a memoir coming out September 8th, titled Eat a Peach. I am the last person in the world that thought I would ever have a book that wasn't a cookbook coming out. But, um, you know, we recorded a podcast about this. We'll release that soon as a pre-opening diaries. But I just wanted to say we talk a lot about different things in the book, about my upbringing, about cooking, about Asian identity, about my own mental illness that I'm becoming a lot more open about talking about. Uh, If you listen to this podcast, I can't tell you how much I appreciate all the support. And this book is something I am nervous about, but it will be out for the world on audio, ebook, and uh, regular book. September 8th, I voiced the audio book. That took me a long time. And I think doing this podcast helped me out being a little bit more professional about it. But you can buy this book at your independent bookstores, your online retailers, Amazon, slash anywhere. I prefer it to be an independent bookstore, but um, I can't force you to do anything you guys don't want to. But uh, I wrote this book with Gabula, and I'm thankful for the opportunity, and I'm privileged to be able to tell these stories. And I hope that it is um, a fun read, Eat a Peach memoir by myself, coming out September 8th. Pre-order it. These are all things that our publisher would love me to say, so I am saying it. Uh, that's it, guys. Now to your show. Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Doma Media. Thank you to Yola Tango, as always, for the introduction. Speaking of which, we should probably get them on the podcast. Um, I don't know if we can get all three of them. Maybe just one of them would be cool, but um, yeah, we should do that and see how life has been treating them in quarantine. But this week, we have another installment of our Too Small to Fail series with Chef John Hall of Post Office Pies in Alabama. I know he's opening up uh, another location, and that's another reason why I wanted to speak to him. But in general, I've never been to Birmingham, Alabama. He's from there, and the reason... Is manifold, right? He used to work for me. We used to work together. He used to be one of the sous chefs at Sambar. He spent time at Per Se. And I haven't seen him. I think the last time I spoke to him was in the basement of a subway. And I knew he moved back to Alabama. And uh, yeah. Okay, so go ahead and do that. And then see if you join the computer. Um, on. Okay, I see Dave. Um, oh, right. what's okay. up, man? Okay, perfect. So make sure you turn on your voice memos, okay? Okay, perfect. All right, let me know how it does. All right, thanks. Yep. Shane. What's up, man? Turn your video on. Yeah, let me... (laughs) Anyway, let's let's have this all part of the the intro. John just finally called in. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Life in quarantine. (laughs) What app is this? Zoom. It's show up now. I'm actually enjoying this because I'm like, someone knows less than me. (laughs) (laughs) What's up? What's up, man? Oh, my gosh. What's going on? Dude, we were just doing the introduction, and and I was saying, 
how I think the last time I saw you was in the basement of a subway station. And, and I knew that you were saying, you know, you, you were, you're leaving New York and you go back to Alabama from where you were from. And mm-hmm. I said, uh, you know, there, there are many reasons why I wanted to get you on this podcast. One was, you know, like I, I wanted to say that that Discover program, is that still going on? It's still going on. It's Good. still going on. Can you, can you talk about it real quick? What, what it is exactly? Oof. All right. So, so originally it started, they reached out um, during the beginning of COVID. So it originally was going to be, you know, businesses, uh, restaurants that are thriving and trying to survive during COVID. And then um, I think with all the, you know, civil unrest that happened, they sort of made a pivot and was like, look, we want to give money towards restaurants and bars and, and whatnot, mom and pop shops is ran by, by African-Americans and they pivoted towards it being that. So like they said, all right, we're going to donate $5 million towards uh, people of color who own businesses to sort of kind of help during COVID, uh, you know, get through this. So it was basically, we got the grant and it was like, all right, well, the whole program is now to nominate for people to nominate anyone in your own city neighborhood that is a black owned or black ran restaurant or, or bar or business. And then basically that, you know, they're going to dish out, you know, uh, grants to folks as they get, uh, as they get nominated. Now, I don't know what's the, the, the whole basis on how they're going to pick the people, but it is, um, it is sort of based on, you know, you need to get nominated. So I put that out there for me. You know, the whole crazy thing was that people were like, oh, congratulations. I was like, no, motherfuckers, this ain't about me. Like, get <laughs> other people. Like, <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Like, that that soul food spot or that that restaurant or whatever that's, that's near you, that's in your neighborhood, that the people that you love and support, like, send this to them. Send this. This is not, you know, it's not about me. It's about... It's about us. It's about everyone else. So that's still going on. And, um, and the hashtag eat it forward on uh, discover card. So you can still nominate your favorite black owned business and get them an opportunity to win 25,000 bucks. Yes, Not sir. win to, to get a grant. To so so. get a grant. Yeah. And it's a grant, you know, it's, you don't have to pay it back. It's, it's amazing. And uh, so I want to make sure that we, we, we spoke about top of the podcast. So people heard and they do that because that's uh, a life-changing uh, possibility for for many businesses. And, especially and, and, right now, man. Especially <laughs> right now, man. Listen, let me tell you, you get a check for, for 25K in the mail right now. Shit. It's like, yes, yeah, like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but, but secondly, too, I, you know, we I've wanted to catch up with you for a while on this podcast because um, I don't know anybody that, opened up a pizzeria, not in New York City. I know a lot of people that open up restaurants and pizza shops on the coast, but I don't know anybody that opened a restaurant uh, in Alabama. And you decided, <laughs> well, that's where you're from, first of all, right? So, yeah, that's where I'm from. That's where I'm from. Yeah, but, and, and, you know, we're going to get into that. But, you know, uh, I was saying that we used to work together. You used to be one of the sous chefs at Sambar a few years back, and you spent time at Per Se, and maybe another restaurant. Did you work at another restaurant in New York City? I was at Gramercy for almost four years. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Remember that. Mike Anthony. The man. 
One of the nicest guys in the business. One of the nicest people you will ever meet. Like, I just weirdly nice. I remember, I remember I got there. I was like, man, he is, when is it coming? But also teenage. <laughs> <laughs> don't be fooled now. Don't be fooled. Shuffle, shuffle, get on your ass. <laughs> if need be. But man, like, you left New York and I remember it's like, dude, I just need a fucking change of pace, man. There was, so there was a lot of factors man and uh, you know and while we're at the top of, of this i, I kind of want to get some pleasantries out of the way like I, I you know i'm not sure who signed off on it but there was an opportunity for me to to do my own thing but one of the main reasons was you know our family was dealing with like a family member had like a really bad accident and my mom was just dealing with just so much shit and it was like man i set out i accomplished everything i set out to do in new york i felt and my family really needed me to be closer to home. And you guys, you guys have paid me like for at least like another month after I left New York to just sort of help me get back on my feet and get acclimated when I got back home. And I'll tell you this, you know, and I wanted to tell you this on the podcast because I think, you know, you, you and I, we've messaged, you know, we, we message each other here and there uh, throughout throughout the time, you know, throughout the years. But I just really wanted to say, you know, wholeheartedly, you know, thank you for that to, you know, to the whole paper cut and Mama Fuku team. Like that meant you, you guys have no idea what that what that meant to me and, and how that helped me sort of transition uh, back into here. So just. At the top of the po- podcast, I wanted to make sure I, I said. Well, John, man, I appreciate that. Thank but you, no, to thank, you and, no, thank and you, John. Man. And, like, that's the least we could do, and that's what I meant. It was just like I've been in that sort of boat too, where you're just like shit's going on at home, and New York can be a grind in a way that is not healthy. And you're like, I, I, I got to get the hell out of here. So it wasn't like leaving on anything but good terms. And it was like, hey, man, whatever we can do, we're, we're going to do our best. And and. Uh, you know, like, I remember thinking about it as, like, I, I don't, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. When you left, I, I didn't have the sense that you wanted to cook anymore, either. Oh, no, I love cooking. No, no, but not like that. <laughs> but, like, in that sense of, like, like you were burned out on, like, a certain kind of restaurant, like, that kind of cooking, you know? And, like, I was liking what you did with what Brooks Heedley did at Superiority Burgers. Like, this is what I know how to do. This is my entire life, right? But, like, yeah. I don't want to do it this way anymore. There's got to be other ways to, like, express myself. Well, I tell you that, man, and that had a lot to do with it. But also, too, it was – I saw how the city was growing. I saw how things were changing. And, you know, like you said, New Yorker, I, I knew I was at, I was at like, a, a, at a tipping point. Like, if I stay, I'll probably be in New York for the rest of my life. Or like this could be sort of my transition out. Um, and it's really been great for me. You know, like we're not dealing, I don't have to deal with the, you know, New York Times reviews and <laughs> all that other bullshit. I mean, like, you know, they, I remember one time we got the DOH came in to some on a Sunday, I swear, like at nine o'clock. And I was like, <laughs> we don't do that. I'm not dealing with shit like that here. It's not, like, it's not so, you know, like, you can sue V whatever the fuck you feel like. And, like, ain't nobody going to say shit to you. Like, 
can run a whole charcuterie program out of the office and it's all good. Like, you know, <laughs> you're, not, you're not dealing with the ills of, you know what I mean? And I, I think one of the things when we get through COVID, because I know we will, I think one of the, one of the refreshing things that you're going to see is that, now, unfortunately for some major cities, you're seeing this sort of exodus, right? But I think the culinary scene in food over the country is actually going to be so much more better because you have these extremely talented people who are in the, the New Yorks, the LAs. They're going back to the smaller markets. They're going back to where they're from. And I think more cities are going to become greater food destinations than just like the five major sort of uh, metropolitans. You, you know what I'm saying? Like you, you look at uh, Galvin Casey, for example, right? Galvin Casey went back to what, Minneapolis, Minnesota? Mm-hmm. And he's killing it. I mean, it's, it's easy. One of the best restaurants probably in the state. So I think you're going to like, you do. You were ahead of the, you were, you were ahead of the curve, man. And, and you're giving the secret out. <laughs> I tell young cooks all the time, like the past five plus years. Oh, David, I, I, I'd like to get a cup of coffee with you, pick your brain. And I know what's about to happen. So you want to open a restaurant in New York City. And I tell them, don't do it. And they know I'm going to tell them, don't do it. I was like, no, 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 don't do it here. <laughs> don't, don't do it here. here. And they're like, but I got to express myself. I have to, I have to scratch this itch. Why do you have to do it in New York? Oh, my God. Yeah. Don't. Exactly. You don't. You really don't. You know, like there's there's a whole nother world. That then also too, it means so much more to your community and to your people. Like, I fucking love Birmingham, and I remember when I was getting ready to leave New York, and they're like, "You going where? <laughs> you going? <laughs> they're like, you going where? To do what? <laughs> they thought I was, they thought I was fucking crazy. They well, literally- to be honest, John, I I thought the same. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> What? Okay. All right. Cause like John, like you were on the path to being like, you know, running like a big restaurant, something, something, you know what I mean? If you so chose, right? Like you could be doing anything you want. John Hall would be in conversation of like having the pick of the job that you wanted. Right. That was just, you know, where the, if you stayed in New York and that's what I mean, you would never leave New York cause you, you know, that story. So for you to say, no, 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 this is not for me. I got to take care of family first. And then me second, and then explore what you did in Birmingham, that was not only the right move, I think it was the only move for you. So what happened then? You get to Birmingham, you you adjust. Were you like, fuck, man, I miss New York? I mean, look, I, there's three places that I, I absolutely love. Uh, Brooklyn, Birmingham, and New Orleans. My favorite places. So, like, I always, like, I'll always have a soft spot for New York. But also, too, you know, I would tell people um, the great thing about it was that I could always come back. And I would come back in New York at least like three times a year. You come back, you're not a tourist. You know, like I know how to get everywhere I need to go. I just come back, I eat, I drink, I see friends, I hang out, and I leave. I'm not worried about the fucking rent or like DOH showing up at 9 p.m. Yeah, I'm, I'm like <laughs> DOH or, or Pete Wells. Fucking walking in, you know, with a fake mustache on or some shit, you know. Like, wait, 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 dude, you're gonna give Pete Wells an idea. <laughs> what, if gonna visit you up as, what if Pete Wells showed up as a DOH inspector just as a disguise? <laughs> <laughs> right? You know, it's like it, it was. 
I don't know. It, 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 at the time, it felt crazy, but also, too, in retrospect, when I left here, people thought I was crazy when I went to New York. You know, they're like, you leaving, you're going to New York, you're making how much an hour? And like, it was under $12 an hour. How much was your first job? How did you get paid in New York City? Woo. Okay. I, don't quote me, but it was under 12. I want to say it was like 10 bucks. And yeah. people, they looked Eight, at me and they were like, you're fucking crazy. Like, 875 for me. <laughs> but, but the great thing too before they changed the laws is that like I was able to get as much OT especially as I started to prove myself and you know prove to be reliable dependable uh, wanting to be there a good cook uh, we got health insurance hell and I ate family meal twice a day I was like well shit I mean like it it was it was okay but yeah you had to be partially crazy to do it so it was like, you know, I got called crazy on both ends. I got called crazy in Alabama when I went to New York and I got called crazy in Alabama, I mean, in New York when I came back to, to Bama. So, you know, I guess I just live, you know, I, I live crazy. Day. <laughs> when did it become, when did it become pizza for you, John? Because um, I don't remember you ever making a goddamn family meal pizza. <laughs> <laughs> ever. Listen, I, was, I, was like, I was like, what? Never once did John Hall ever mention, I have a passion for pizza. Never. <laughs> He's just so hiding these secrets, I'll, I'll, man. I'll tell you this. Also, too, I feel like this is so. Do you ever watch uh, Drink Champs with Noriega? I feel like this is Drink Champs. So I feel like we should be. But anyway. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm going a, I'm to a, I'm a have something. I'm at, the, I'm not at the restaurant right now, so I'm going I'm to have something. <laughs> So let me tell you how it all started. So I, once I was done at Per Se, I went to work for Andrew Tarlow at, um, at, um, at Diner, right next to uh, Marlow and Sons. And when I would get off work, um, I lived in Carroll, I lived in Carroll Gardens and it was, you know, it's straight family neighborhood. So there was like no late night eats. So Myself and my girlfriend I was dating at the time had this crazy idea. It was like, you should do like some sort of like late night food delivery. So I was like, all right. We came with this concept. It was called Insomnia Pizza. So I would get off from diner, bike home, because I, I biked in New York. I would bike home, back to Carroll Gardens, activate an extra phone line through Gmail, and I would make pizzas out of my apartment and I tell you, I live two blocks away. I lived on Henry Street. I live two blocks away from Ucales. Easily one of my favorite pizza places in the, I think one of the best pizza places in the, in the country. Shout out to Ucales and also Raza's in Jersey. Um, and we deliver, made and deliver late night pizzas to bars and folks in Carroll Gardens. And so that's sort of where the idea came from. I stopped it when I took the job uh, with you at Song. Wow, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. Did anyone? Like, did you tell anybody you were doing this at Momofuku? No, I told. I told. No, it's like you basically just told me, John. You basically just told me, I'm, I'm Batman. You did what? Yeah. Night, you were a vicar vigilante. What? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I'm out here saving, saving, saving lives with pizza now on the on the late gate on the late night. I mean, vigilante is you know, a good was, word. Like, can, can I ask both of you, like? How illegal was that? And do you think it should be more illegal <laughs> to do that shit? Uh, now that it's in the past. Now that it's in the past. <laughs> oh, we can talk about it now. 
Yeah, illegal is <laughs> illegal as fuck. <laughs> I mean, but 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 also too saying that is that from the places that I've worked at, I'm sure I practice better uh, sanitary and health standards than, than some shitty restaurants. Oh in yeah, fucking in fucking Manhattan. So I, you know, like for a, a health standpoint, you know, like you're not going to break away from like the training and the, the right thing to do. But from their standpoint, yeah, it's illegal stuff. But it's also too, it's, a lot of it though is based around the government and the city. Like, Ooh, you what's know, your drinking, man? Oh, whoa. He's doing drink champs by himself without us over here. <laughs> hey, listen. Wait, what is that? <laughs> a little rose, man. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Little a little I'm gonna, uh, you've inspired me. I'm going to be right back. You keep on talking, Chris. Right. What in the world? <laughs> Hey, you go get some too. I'll, but when Dave gets back, you go make your drink. I know. We'll take shifts, I guess. I'll go do it out when he's back. But, but John, you think that, like, I fully believe that you are practicing better hygiene and better overall professionalism than, than some restaurants. But do you think, like, looking forward as we're moving for after, you know, this post COVID world, like, should, mm-hmm. stu- should, should some of that loosen up? Should people like the young version of you be able to do that more easily? I think, I think so. I think if you can make it, you know, obviously there has to be some sort of regulations, right? And then outside of that, you know, the, I mean, as Dave can tell you, you know, cities thrive or they run off of tax money. So should it be looser? Yes. I mean, because also too, right now as we speak in this current climate, this is how some people are making their, their bread and butter. So a lot of chefs who aren't able to cook in restaurants whose um, the extra money have maybe run out of, that extra unemployment government assistance uh, might run out of, this is how some people are feeding their families. So, I mean, you know, America's built off of entrepreneurship and small businesses. Um, So I think, you know, municipalities need to maybe find a way to maybe make it, I mean, I understand you can't have everyone doing it, but talks of making it easier, sure, especially during right now, you know. Yeah. Um, I think they should. Where are you on this, Chang? Do you think more people like that first pizza-making version of John should be allowed to do this out of their homes? Chang's probably making like a fucking... <laughs> <laughs> a Mai Tai. He's like... He's not mixed. mixed yeah, he's no, man. Oh, he's back. I, I, I was like... I, 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 I made I made just a little bourbon and some barley tea because that was the only thing I had. So, <laughs> oh, this is, it's this a, is torture. A, a cha- I'm gonna go a, get a, one. A Chang Thai. Um, <laughs> all, <laughs> all before noon. I love it. Um, no, man. I I don't know if put it this way. I don't have the answer. But yeah. if we continue to follow the rules and regulations of pre 2020 rules. Um, things are going to go south real fast. And, you know, I threw out the suggestion. I, I'm sure I wasn't the first one or the only one about changing the state liquor authority laws so restaurants could sell to make cocktails to go, right? Yo, they're, because, they changed that there? No, they did. They did. But they should no. keep that, right? That shouldn't... Right? Like, like we... <laughs> How do you go we back need, now? Now you can't. And, and like, that's the thing. Can't go back. We need to change. We, have we need to, to open it. the doors and 
provide different avenues for restaurants to make money. As, as rules have made it harder for restaurants to make money, this is an opportunity to, to sort of let the floodgates open. You are going to have mistakes happen for sure, right? Mm-hmm. But like we, we need to sort of get some new data as to how someone can act as an entrepreneur. And there are many stories of chefs in um, major cities that have just been like, fuck it, I'm just going to make food right now and sell it. And that's, that's just so important. So the way you can look at it is if I can sell a face mask on Etsy, why can't I sell food? out of my apartment too. And we should be open to that. And if anything, I would suggest that the local health health departments, governments, and municipalities should sort of open the the, the sort of what they allow, right? And we've just been too stagnant for too long. I mean, I I look at even like New York City where you're at, right? I mean, how many people actually drive in New York City? I mean... They should have been letting New York City sell beverages to go. I mean, it's a walking, uh, commuting subway. You know, it's a. It's not like everyone. It's not like here where everyone drives. I mean, like if hell, if anything, it makes sense in New York. You know, and especially just with the cost of just the cost of living, the cost of running a business. They need to be able to help restaurants and bars out in a in a in a better way. Well, I don't know if that's ever going to happen, man, because I think the whole thing's going to get reset to zero in a lot of different ways. Um, yep. So, you know, how, how, how's business going on in, in how, how's like, before we get to your own restaurant, how is, you know, life and uh, sort of dining in, in Birmingham? Are people going out? What, what, is, what is going on with the COVID? All right. So <laughs> I'm just going to keep it all the way with you. It's like a it's like a split down the middle, right? You have your folks who like they're bought in and like, all right, we're following the rules. But then you have your folks who are like, it, and unfortunately, very unfortunately, it it is so fucking political. Mm-hmm. It's disgusting. It's whether you know someone's wearing a mask or not like i feel like if someone said that's the other day like by wearing a mask i feel like i'm wearing my political beliefs on my face and because you you know like this is a we're in alabama so this is a gun this is a gun carrying state you know like you don't tell them over here what to do. like and so some people are just like hard nosed about it and then it's, it's it's, it's about 50-50. So we can operate at 50% uh, dining uh, restaurants here. And, you know, for some people, like, you need it. But it's right down the middle. But most people are doing curbside and to-go. A lot of places are just not o- opening back up right now. But definitely, like, places are closing. So, I you know, my heart really goes out to sort of, like, the fine dining establishments because... You know, like, you don't want, like, frog raw with fucking brioche in it to go by. I mean, like, maybe drunk enough, like, sure, I'll eat it. But you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) 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 you talk back to me about one o'clock tonight and like, yeah, sure. You want to drop off a loaf of foie gras and, you know, and a a, a baguette. Sure, I'll take it. But, you know, it's not the same. It's it's not the same experience. That's not shit you want to eat for delivery or take. That's not what you want to eat for delivery. And honestly, John, I don't know if I can want to eat that in a restaurant anymore when they they come back open to begin with. Yeah, I feel that, man. You know, I 
So that's just where the dining scene is. It's, it's, it's um, we're 50% at best. Um, bars are having to close at 11 o'clock. Um, and I don't know. It's just, it's, it's hard. It's, it's just hard to, it's hard to see. It's hard to, to watch. But what I have to, to tell the staff literally every day in every manager meeting is like everything that we know before now, fucking forget about it. Like just, you have to erase that sort of, I mean, obviously it's there, but it's like, we have to pivot. We have to go with now and what's working and new models and new formats of just how things run. I, th- I think that's, that's just going to be like the way to, that, that people survive. So. And uh, you're in the one business that is excellent for delivery and takeaway, and that's pizza. You, you are in the best, the best. <laughs> when I left New York City, and they were like, oh, yeah, so you're going back to Birmingham. All right. So, all right, that's already crazy, right? And they're like, oh, so, like, what's the type of food you're going to do? You're going to do, you know, like, contemporary American, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that from the different places you worked at. I was like, well, I, I am down the line, but the first thing is going to be pizza. And they're just like, <laughs> especially my fine dining friends, they were like, excuse me? Yeah, wait, you say you're going to move back to Birmingham, Alabama and make pizzas? It was like, oh, you, you can't be that high. Like, what's wrong with you? Like, <laughs> I'm like, but also but it, the transition was, was easy. It was lower overhead. You know, you're not buying glassware. You know, or expensive glassware. You're not buying expensive plateware and linen and all these things that that take you know, quote unquote, take to run a fine dining establishment. And it was also too was a good way for me to reintroduce myself back to the community, reintroduce myself back to the city from having been gone. What does everyone know? Everyone eats pizza. So, and then I moved back into a neighborhood where my grandparents lived. Now I live in the same neighborhood, literally on the same street as my, as my grandmother used to live. And, you know, being in New York, you know, you can't go a good four or five blocks in the city or, or any borough without a neighborhood pizzeria. And there was this empty building. It was right next door to a brewery and right next door to uh, a barbecue restaurant, Saul's Barbecue in Avondale. It was right next door to them. And so, all right, barbecue, brewery, what would be a good fit? What would be a good way to reacclimate, introduce myself back to the culinary neighborhood and with a lower cost, but great margins? And it was pizza. And I was already doing it. <laughs> I was already being Batman at night, you know, fucking doing it. So, like, I was like, well, fuck it. Like, this is it. So, I mean... So that's how we sort of, that's really how it, it developed up built was from there. And, you know, we've, we've, we've just been growing and, and trying to maintain since now with COVID, I mean, pizza is the number one delivered food in the country. And, you know, I would, I would even think about like the chefs and people here who thought I was crazy for doing pizza. I don't know. I, I'm, I feel really fortunate, really blessed for us to even still be able to have a job to go to. Um, now, obviously, you know, changes had to be made once COVID hit hard, but um, I don't know. It's been, um, it's been steady. It's been good. And we're just still trying to kind of 
keep it going. You know, like Domino's is hiring right now. I know. If that tells you anything, if that tells you anything, it tells us a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It tells you a lot. Did you have to change your pizza for the, for the location versus like, would you open the, if you do, if you did something, Carol gardens, right. Mm -hmm. Would you open the same kind of pizza shot? I mean, not, the shape, I mean, not the store itself, the same kind of culinary pizza. Like, would the pizza look and taste the same? Or are you changing your pizza because it's Birmingham versus New York? Mm-hmm. I definitely changed it because it was Birmingham. Like, I, I, you know, another pizza shop, I used to go to, I used to live over in Williamsburg. So, in my mind, I like that, you know, they're not open anymore, but I was a huge fan of Franny's. Um, I like the pizza at, uh, Roberta's, um, but you know, I'm still a huge fan of Lucali's, um, but I changed it. I changed it for, for Birmingham, for sure. You know, I wanted it to be very, I didn't want a lot of smoke and mirrors and I wanted to be just like honest, straight up. So, you know, like we're not like drizzling like olive oil or like shaving any like truffles over shit. Like. Cheese pizza, cheese pizza, you know, like we're making everything, any and everything we can make in house, we make in house. And it's just, it's just, it's just straightforward, you know, pepperoni, chicken pesto. And then we get out and we do, you know, like a couple adventurous things. Like there's a, I'll tell you right now, there's a, there's a barbecue pizza that I didn't think in a million years we would have ever did. We didn't do it for like the first like six years. Never did it. Right next door to barbecue place. But goddamn it, look, if, if they want to buy it, who the fuck am I to, who am I to say no? You know what I mean? If this pays the bills, if this helps payroll, then yes, I will sell you a fucking barbecue pizza. Now, there's no pine, I will tell you, there's no pineapples. You can't get pineapples here. Once a year. <laughs> and once a year. And we did it this first time this year on 420. And shout out, shout out to your man, Seth. We did a piece <laughs> called Pineapple Express on 420. And after it ran out on 420, we didn't do it again. And I probably won't do it again to 420 again. You know, so I get like to do like little fun, like little cool shit like that, you know, just to just to put it out there. But we definitely changed the format. I changed the format of the pieces to be, I think, more conducive to to, to Birmingham. Are you ever going to like venture to the, like the trends of stuff like doing Detroit style and like deep dish no. and none of no. that shit? No, no. no. <laughs> No, no, we're dialed in now. Like, <laughs> we're dialed in now at this point, you know, is, um, and especially with the second store, just maintaining consistency between the two. Um, and, you know, we got other dishes. We're, we really do a lot of salads and really like, out, like sort of outside of the box salads. You know, I'm in Alabama and we have all these great farmers here, all this great produce. Um, and I've got like a really good, relationship with so many uh farms and farmers here uh shout, shout out to jones valley teaching farm um they teach sustainable agriculture to inner city kids and we do a lot of work with them and i, I think it's really not only farming but just important to what they're teaching teaching these kids so the salads are really big for us um pastas meatballs but you know pizza still the what was the like? Uh, what was the pizza scene in Birmingham when you got there, and has it changed at all? I mean, like, you know, your your pies are what like 
range from thirteen to twenty something for a pie or something like that. What was the is that was that space filled already? Were there are there other pizzerias doing sort of similarly all house made, all sort of like um you know, not dominoes basically? Yeah, there was um there are quite a few pizza shops here and you know, I looked up to them. Um, at the new spot, you know, there's one down the street. They've been open like 50 plus years. Oh, um, and then there was these uh, other guys. Um, shout out to the to the Bajaya brothers. Um, they were here before us, and they were doing like a l- little bit more contemporary uh, style pizzas. So they already had kind of sort of set a market for people to be comfortable with paying like the low to mid twenties for a pie. Um, now in retrospect, we came under everyone, you know, we were like the new kids in town. So like at first glance, I didn't think that, you know, I didn't really have the confidence that people was willing to spend that sort of money, especially since you can get like a $5 hot and ready, whatever the fuck. So we came in under like, the guys who were charging a little bit more and it's worked out well because they already had the market set. So it wasn't like we were the first ones to sort of kind of branch into that, that sort of sector. And even now I still don't feel that we're like expensive. Um, But even with that said, and Dave, I know you can, you can piggyback on this is that, I think America has to, the consumers have to understand that things cost money. Like it costs more. Everything costs money. Like everything that's in that building, you have already paid for. So I do think collectively the restaurant industry, we have to get better about our margins. Because I think that's one of the things that that got us in this position where we're at now. You know what I mean? Like, if I work at a, a at an office desk, no one you don't know about a fucking food costs. You don't know what this pork cost me. What I had to pay someone to to produce it, to prep it, to make it. You know the box that it's going out and we paid for. You know, like all that. You know, we have to I think collectively up the prices because also too you know minimum wage is going to go up across the country. And it has to reflect, you know, things have to be sort of like relative for it to all make sense. So I think consumers have to realize, like, look, you can't get caviar for fucking hot dog. It's just not how it works, you know? Um, So I think you hit the nail on the head 100%. And I I totally agree. Um, I just, I want to be careful because I don't I, I don't want to piss off a lot of people here well, yeah, than I normally do. You know, but yeah. but like I think it's very clear. There's a lot of solutions to fixing a lot of our business issues in the his hospitality industry. Yeah. One of which is we need to charge more for food. There are many, many others. Um one big one though is food prices. But the problem I have with this is not that it shouldn't be higher. Of course it should be higher. I get upset when people refuse to look at the holistic picture, there's a lot of critics or people that are inside the business, whether their own rest, they own restaurants or not, or they're mm-hmm. journalists that are like, Hey, you need to offer this, this, and this, how come you're not paying this? And how come you don't have this kind of benefit or that kind of benefit? Well, 
you could be a busy restaurant, but your margins are still going to be the same. Like your this are, whole thing needs to change. And right. I don't know if everyone's going to have the altruism to make sure that you, you diversify and spread that wealth in your business, but it's hard to do the things that any business that would be quote unquote busy and successful can do when we have a ceiling on how much we can charge for food and how the media, and I don't want to blame this on the media at all, but how it, the messaging gets interpreted to your audience that might buy that food. And the problem I have with all of this is I think everything you described is going to happen and it's actually going to make it worse for our business in the short and maybe long term because independent restaurants are totally fucked right now. They are going to, we all are going to try to figure out a better model and we're all coming to the same conclusion. Things need to be more expensive, probably by 30 to 40% more expensive, right? Let's just right. be honest. Let's right? be honest, yes. If you're going to get rid of tips and all these things, 30 to 40%, I think, to start. Well, if you're a high capitalized business and you're publicly traded on the stock exchange and you have thousands and thousands of locations and you're franchisee, you have no incentive to increase your prices. You actually have every incentive to make it cheaper. Yeah. yeah. I tell you, like, through all this, and, you know, obviously, like, no ill will on anyone, but, you know, it's definitely the, the chains. I mean, I know they, su they supply people with jobs, but the independent mom and pop places, it's, it's really hard to sort of compete with. It's, it's, it's difficult because, you know, the more locations, the the better buying power you get. So, which of course, the less you can charge. Um, it's going to be really curious just to see how all of this pans out, man. I mean, I mean, John, you're you're competing against Domino's and Chipotle. Their market cap, in terms of valuation, and a, they, they get money from the public markets, has increased by like a hundred percent since March. Like, hmm. how the fuck is a small mom and pop restaurant? going to compete when they know, the, the bigger chains know that they can drive out the competition by offering it more cheaply. You know, th this is fucked, man. <laughs> I tell you what, I, so oftentimes, and you'll be very proud to know this, I sort of channel my inner chain in manager <laughs> meetings at times. <laughs> so, so when all this went down, you know, I went in there and I went, I think I talked shit to like, like the, the three people we had on staff. I was like, you got old man Hall in here and I'm going to make all this shit better than y'all motherfuckers were making it before <laughs> COVID. I'm going to have, our reviews are going to go through the roof because I'm going to make every single fucking pizza that goes out of here. But you know what? To those places that didn't close, it was some of the best because you had, you had the owners working in there. You had the chefs working in there. But, you know, I said to them, I was like, look, every time that phone rings, every time we get that online order, we're in the middle of a pandemic and the whole country is unemployed. So when people make the fucking decision to call us, we better not fuck up. They could call Domino's. They could call, I mean, I'm not even naming them because we're not shouting them out. They could call all them other teams and they're way cheaper than we have to go above and beyond. We have to make sure every single thing that goes out is better than it ever was. Because you know what? Who's to say that if they call back again? Every time that phone rings. And when COVID first started, man, it was like, 
you know, you damn near get just choked up every emotion is just like just to see the support and to see that 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 man like white black whatever it didn't matter people were their favorite spots people were supporting and people still support in the middle of all of it and you know honestly that's one of the most things i'm i'm, I'm super proud of of my city is the support because you know what they could save an extra ten dollars in call somewhere but the fact that they choose to, to think about us and the fact that they choose to support us during the middle of all this like i'll i'll never forget that like never you know what i mean like you, you know you know like for like it, it's easy to take something for granted when it, you know when things were just normal right oh sure you know it's fucking friday or whatever you know like we got orders just we're busy it's great now when you, like, you see that ticket row full you're like, yeah. You appreciate it, man. You Way really more. do, man. You really do. Um, my, old, my old chef, David Breeding, he's out at the TFL. Uh, shout out to David Breeding. He would always say to us, it's like, All right, we have an opportunity here. Every time, every before service, you know what I'm saying? We got a fucking opportunity. We got an opportunity. And that's how I look at it. It's like, we got an opportunity. Every time that phone rings, we have an opportunity to either win back folks, gain new people, are, you know, just up the level of quality of what we were doing. Like, it's, it's in turn, I think, is helping us make us a better restaurant because we're trying to survive through the pandemic. If that John Hall, do you think that eight years ago you'd ever sound like this? Because you sound a lot like I fucking sound. <laughs> <laughs> I feel man. sorry me, for you, bro. <laughs> let me, look, look, let me tell you. Like, look, let me tell you. The, I think the, I, you know, and I want to tell you this too, man. Like, I took. There's like certain things I took away from 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 Grammys, right? And working with Mike, there were certain things I took away from Per Se. There were certain things I took away from Diner. Uh, and of course, there were so many certain things I took away from Song. I would always say to people. And this is not what I would say to people. Once I became a small business owner, I felt like I related more to you at that moment than maybe even when I was like employed by you, if that makes sense. Right. You know what I mean? Like I resonate so much, you know, and people, are like, oh, you know, like you never know. Like, and I might just say, like, they never know what John they're going to get when I walk in that fucking door. And you know what? I'm I'm okay with that. I'm proud of it because like I want us to stay on top of our toes. I want us to stay. I you know, I would tell people all the time, you know, that this motherfucker is on the cover, Time Magazine. But you know what? He still feels like an underdog. He still has that like grit, like that. We haven't made it yet. And you would say that to someone and be like, "What? Like, <laughs> yes, this motherfucker feels like <laughs> it's like Mama against the world, man. Like, let's go." You, you know, know that what I mean? is that, like, that, that John. That is for those that don't know. That is Sambar is a fucking hard place to work. It's hard because of the building itself, right? You working against <laughs> it, like man, my like, legs never look so good because of them. Yeah, because like <laughs> man, like that. That's that's still my mentality. Because man, like every day something is trying to take you down, man, and you got to fight every day. And I don't know any other way. I wish it. My, my, this is my after years of therapy on this. I think that what you're talking about 
is an incredibly effective model. It really works, but it comes at a toll, man. It comes at a toll. <laughs> Personal life, and because you're so in it all the time, like that's not that's not a kind of intensity, whether it's outward, but I think that intensity is mostly inward that people can resonate. And you said it yourself. Like I didn't, you didn't get it till you became a small business owner because mm-hmm. I'm sure you have employees that are like, why does this guy care so much? So much. <laughs> right? So much. I don't get it. I literally had so, I literally had, I really had a girl the day on grandma, grandma be like, so do you take an off day? I was like, yeah, I'll get around to it. When we furloughed everyone, Hey, so we furloughed everyone, was it like March 15th, 16th? I'd work for 85 days straight. Not only because, like, one, because I had to, but I thought about, I thought about the staff. You know, I thought about all the days, maybe that I wasn't there for a shift, that they held it down for me. And I said, you know what? It's my turn. It's, it's my fucking shift now. It's my turn to hold it down for them. So when we get through this, there's something to come back to. I, I, I think about all my chef friends and, and cooks in New York City who, if they could, they would give their arm to go to work, they wouldn't, to cook, to be able to be in there. And then you go in that restaurant for the first time after you furloughed everyone, and it's like literally you and like one other person in there. It hit home. You know, I was like, damn, like I got to do this for them now. It was never a responsibility I took lightly being an employer. But I'm telling you that that first day walking in that restaurant and it was literally like me and one other person. But the fact that we were able to be open and we're given an opportunity, we have an opportunity. But all right, if this is what if this is the little window that we got and this barely cracked open. All right. We got to fucking go through. We got to we got to we got to we got to see what we can make happen. John, I wanted to share this. There's, there's an article that came out by a journalist, Andy Wang. He wrote about it in the Rob Report. And I'm going to read it. It's about a young chef that got a Michelin star, uh, and it's a Hayato, and his name's Brandon Go, And it's just like very soigné sushi counter, and he does these bento boxes. And mm-hmm. it goes on to, one thing Go says, he absolutely can't do is abandon, uh, he can't abandon uh, Go, right? One thing Go says is he absolutely can't do is abandon Hayato. He's the sole owner of the restaurant and paid for its build-out. He put his life savings and some money from his parents into Hayato. He has a 10-year lease with options to extend it, which he intends to do. There is absolutely no plan B, Go said, which in a way makes it easy to keep moving forward. Everything I have is invested in the restaurant. I can never walk away. So I may have to keep borrowing and go deep into debt to continue. But the only way forward to make the money back is doing it in this restaurant. If I give up and try to get a job somewhere else, there's zero chance to completely recoup the losses of a building of building a restaurant that I had to abandon. The only way out is through. And you just open another fucking restaurant. Dude. So we signed the paperwork. We signed the paperwork right before COVID. So, <laughs> so, so then the world shuts down and we're like, fuck, we're on the contract. So they, in, and I will say that our leasing, the landlord lease, they've been fantastic. We sort of slowed down the production of the build out for a bit. 
to, you know, so I could get things settled and sort of stable. But, you know, we were still, I was still legally buying to this, 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 this contract. Um, now, luckily, like people are buying pizzas or if not, like, dude, I would be, I'll be shitting a brick right now. Um, it's the reason why you worked 85 days too, man. Like you have to. I very much have sort of mentality and this is maybe like a stubborn and bullhead is like, no one's not going to outwork me. There's somebody, no one's not going to outwork me. Like, and the passion that I have for the staff, the passion I have for the staff and the, the people, even before all of this, and, and, and they know it. anyone who, who works there, anyone who works there can, can test this. But we just, if there was a chance to be able to do something, I had to fucking do it. And if that meant working 100 days straight, fuck you, make 100 days straight. But, you know, like, there'll be some time, like, that you'll be able to enjoy yourself or get back to doing things for yourself. But right now, this is what's, what I'm sort of tasked to do. And then that's it. There's no, there's nothing else. I mean, what else, you know, that's it. And, you know, if you're someone who loves to cook, you're like, fuck it, let's do it. I think even though you, you're a highly trained chef that opened up a pizzeria in Birmingham, Alabama. You just explained the predicament that every business owner, not even restaurants, is in right now that is looking for help. And then, uh, and then once we saw, like, man, they're going to let us, if we can do it, they're going to let us, you know, hang in there. And then after that, man, I, I knew then, once I knew, like, all right, they're not going to close us. I was already bought in to work in. If I had to work fucking 200 days at that point, once I knew that we had the ability, the chance to just keep fighting, don't worry. Like if we get through this, I will take a very nice vacation. If we get through it but for right now, like this is where I need to be. Yeah. You know? Is there, is there another side of it, John? I mean, besides just grinding besides 8,500, 200 days straight, have you made, other changes to the business that you didn't sort of imagine making before all this, like menu changes, any of that kind of stuff, like the way you serve this, have you had to adjust other ways? Yeah. Well, we, so here's the thing too. We never, we didn't close a single day. We're all, I'm seven days a week. See, that's that New Yorker shit in me too. But <laughs> we're, we're, we're closed one day out of the year. People look at me with their mouth open. You understand I'm in the South. You know, there's all sorts of holidays and, you know, there's college football and there's church and I'm close on Thanksgiving. That's it. <laughs> Man, I moved down here. They just thought I was, they thought I was the fucking devil. They were like, what? Why well, you're open on Sundays? <laughs> you know what's better? Listen, listen, I count money on Sundays just as well as I do on fucking Friday. And actually Sunday feels a lot better. <laughs> it feels a lot better. Oh, man. But um, yeah, we so we we slimmed down the menu. Um, there were certain items that I felt moved better, and we have the numbers to show it, the stats to show it. It just moved better when dining was open, uh, even if it's a better to go item. So there's just menu items we took off. Um, we slimmed it down for sure, and we went, you know we almost felt in some ways that we were damn near running almost more efficient in some ways because like nothing stayed, nothing, you know, like we were just, we were blown, you know, we're going through whatever we got 
were touching everything. Like it was all just managers. So, you know, like we changed, we, we, we changed items that are still in the menu now. Like we've made stuff better mm. because, you know, we're, you're in there all these hours and you're like, you know what? Like I'll tell you a perfect example. We were, you know, we do a Caesar salad, you know, and we were doing like these like fine breadcrumbs on the Caesar salad. And I was like, I was always kind of like, uh, I'm not sure how I feel about it. I want like a crouton, you know? And so like, all right, we have like some dough left over and then like cut it up, fried it, cut it up, deep fried it and toss it, you know, some oregano and garlic powder and salt and this and that. And like, now that's the crouton for, for the Caesar, which is makes the salad so much more better and so much more enjoyable. Would we have done that if, it's just us literally just like the four of us in there every day and like talking about food and talking about, man, I would do this different. Like, well, fuck, like we have to, we can change whatever the hell we want to now. We made even the stuff that we do better. We, I, I took the recipe book home and dissected it. I was like, all right, does this make sense? Does that make sense? You know, like, okay, this can taste better if we do this. And just was really just, so we re redialed re in like a lot of stuff that we were already doing. We slimmed things down, but it, I think it worked out. It worked out great. Yeah. And you're doing exactly what you have to do, right? You are, I keep on using this uh, metaphor of uh, fixing your car, right? Too often mm -hmm. this industry, we're told you got to fix the car, but you're like, shit, I got to keep driving at 70 miles per hour. What the fuck are you talking about fixing this goddamn yeah, car? Yeah, I can't fix it right now. <laughs> Yeah. You know, like I know I need a new fucking muffler. I know the engine is shot. I know the door's falling off. But like, what do you want me to do about it? Yeah. I... But now the car's fucking stopped. You can fix this shit. You can fix it. You you can. And you should, you should, you know, it's like, mm. but just mentally, man, it's just every day since it's, 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 it's been a lot, you know, hang in there, buddy. Yeah, man, look, I went back, look. I know, man, I saw, you're, you're inspiring, I'm sure, a lot of people listening to this, man, because... I went back and, I, Dave, I started seeing my... I saw, I had my first session with my therapist last Friday. It's the day we're fucking opening our restaurant. I was like, <laughs> I was like, do you got anything else available? She's like, no, this is the only day that I got. And I was like, I'm in the back seat of my fucking... my truck having my first session in like almost well over a year in the in the in the back seat of my fucking SUV. But I know it needed that and and you know like you know rest in peace Tony uh Bourdain and I, I had a friend who within the last year in the restaurant industry like took his own life and you know like people talk about it and you know like when it's trendy and shit but you know I I don't feel, I feel that's something that needs to be also too in our business more in the forefront about, about mental health and about making sure that like we're taking care of ourselves because you know, like in your head right now, Dave, like you got a million fucking things working and then you throw in now there's grace and now there's Hugo and then we're in a pandemic and we got all this shit and there's staff and there's managers. It's like, if people only knew the shit that you're processing, even when you're just trying to have like dinner at the table, I don't think people know. So, you know, like I, you know, I met a, I made a, 
a point to do that. And, you know, I, I think um, it shouldn't be something that's this sort of, not even the elephant in the room, it's like something that people don't really like, and even like mainstream, and I'll use it, mainstream media, you know, like let's not wait till we lose someone else great again to start people consciously and publicly, you know, making an effort to talking about it. And it, is it a very vulnerable thing? Yes, but also too, like, I think people relate more through vulnerability. People need to know that people are human. You know what I mean? And I think showing that you're, that you're vulnerable, I think, you know, talking about mental health issues, especially, especially for African-American males, is something in our community, Dave, that's just like, oh, I'll be tough, you know, man, like, whatever little platform I have, if I can use it to talk about the things that are really important. I think we need that. I think people need to see that, like, you know, like, you know, we're human too. And, you know, John, we, should get, we should get back to those things. I don't mean to. I'm, I'm, no, no, man. I'm, I'm, I'm honored that you would be open enough to share those things yeah. on this. And, and I think it's, incredibly powerful for you to talk about this, right? And, and especially, as you say, uh, as a black chef talking about getting help and the mental pressures involved in running a restaurant in relation not only to the chef community, but to your community at community. large. Yeah. yeah. And I, I listen, I, I, I don't know exactly all of those things, but I can relate to the same thing being someone that's open about his mental illness and to, <clears throat> you know, the Korean American, Asian, you don't talk about that shit. You know, my household, no one ever said, I loved you. How the hell are you going to say I need help? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, look, hey, and then after, after all the, I say after, because it's still going on, you know, what we're dealing with, with, with race in the country. And also, you know, like we, we need justice for Breonna Taylor. That needs to be said at, at every turn. Um, we have to make sure that, you know, we're, that women are getting equal pay. Um, and especially like women of color. I mean, you know, like we have with this thing being reset, I don't want it to go back the way it looked like. No. Because the way it looked like too was was fucked up. But you gotta understand too, for a lot of these folks who are hurting and going through hell right now, they don't want it. They don't want things to change. They want it to go back the way it was. But you know what? If you're one of those people, fuck you. Because it, it all has to change. And the important thing, I'm really just to going to therapy, is that we're sitting here, we want, you know, the world to change, race relations to change, the industry to change. But also, too, if you don't take a look at the person in the mirror, and if that motherfucker doesn't change, how the hell you expect the whole, the whole country, whole world to change? So, you know what, like, I won't change, too, but also, too, I know I got I to gotta change, and I got to start stuff with myself. You learned all this in one fucking session? <laughs> no, listen. No, listen. I, 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 Fuck, I, man. I need your therapist. <laughs> listen, let me tell you something. No, no, no. It wasn't all. It, you know, it's, I, I think for me, a lot of it was like having just having time to reflect, right? Like, because like I said, you know, walking in there and you're the only person in the restaurant. You're dealing with like so many shit, so much shit in your head. And then like the COVID really hits. And then knowing folks who 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 we lost uh during COVID, rest in peace to Chef Floyd, 
the folks that we lost during COVID, and then you add like the racial component to it. And it's like, you know what, like whatever you believe in heart being like, they're saying like, we, let's, we're, we need to deal with all this shit. Um, but no, I told someone when I was going back for the first time, I was like, cause it took a while for me the first time to go around like to open up. I was like, this second one, I was like, yo, she is about to earn every fucking dollar this one. <laughs> I'm going to unload. I'm going like, to unload yeah, the last year. <laughs> yeah, I was like, listen, <laughs> I unloaded on this motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, I went ahead and booked the next one, which is the day after my birthday. That should be fun. Um, Happy birthday, brother. Happy birthday. <laughs> it's the end of the month, but thank you. But, um, but yeah, man, it's just like you, when, you, when you got time just to deal with your thoughts, you got to deal with them. You know, one of the negative things about the way that I operated, and sometimes I'm still, I'm trying to unprogram myself, John, in so many ways, right? Mm -hmm. Because imagine opening up a restaurant at age late, almost 27, I was 26, not knowing anything. No one wanted to work with me. Like, I wasn't prepared. And I grew up in an environment where, especially back then, in kitchens and how I was raised, I like no one ever said anything nice. It was all yelling and uh, you know, right. <laughs> like. And then you add to the fact, you know, like if you were praised, it was you were not being criticized, right? Like that's hard, but that's how I grew up anyway. That's like my dad, you know. But also, too, and, then our minds got to be like you almost came like a, a, a gluttonous to pain, like yeah. to it. Like, yeah. Pain is the only thing that feels good. And I mean, I'm talking about a lot of therapy. Like, I have dysregulation of my emotions. Like, I spend so much time trying to figure out why I get angry, right? So I can't be angry. As you said, like, I got to, if I want to affect change, I got to change me. And that has been a long process, man, many fucking years. But one of the things I realized was I am a, and Chris knows this, I like to self-flagellate myself with pain because it's the only thing I know to be true. Everything else sort of lets me down, and that becomes, as much as I don't want to do it, right? And I don't want to hurt myself. I don't want to, you know, get angry, hurt myself. But feeling pain, whether it's physical or emotional, it's the only thing that's real and I can hold on to. You can hold on. And, and that's fucked up, man. Secondly, yep. now you talked about the added pressures now of being an entrepreneur. And now you care about everything's on the line. Like, that's a powder keg, man. That's a powder keg. And you're yeah. talking about low margins. And thirdly, you add, now you got to be sort of the face and you got to deal with the media pressures and customers and Yelp. I want us to take a step back and be like, how do you create a healthier environment with all of that pressure to begin with? Man, I don't want to be famous, Dave. <laughs> I'm going to disappear. I'm telling you, I'm going to make some money and I'm going to fucking, I'm going to disappear. I'm, I'm going off the grid. No, yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. Doing this is also to making hopefully thing, things better for other people that's in your life as well. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like we constantly, I don't know. It's like you're like constantly trying to like appease like so many fucking people. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's like, you know, like you, you want to, you obviously you think about the guests. And then you think about, you know, your managers and your staff and it's like, well, fuck, you know, like, uh, but, you know, like, I do all of it for other people anyway. I think, I don't think any of it is for me, I think sometimes, but also, yeah, I would say like, 
Yeah, I keep waiting on my on a Father's Day card from someone on the staff. <laughs> man, look, I'm right, look, one of these motherfuckers. I'm telling you, somebody, look, <laughs> somebody you know, acknowledge me. Just buy me a tie, just, man. Yeah, just buy me an ugly ass fucking sweater or something. Like, I wear, I wear that shit. I don't care. Coffee cup. I'm like, yeah. Fucking, you know, Miller Miller gave me this tie, so I'm wearing this tie. I don't care if it doesn't do <laughs> Fuck it. Yeah, I don't care. Oh, holy shit. Well, Chris has to go uh, on another call. Um, yes. But um, before we end it, man, because I, I want to have you back on, man, because this is this got really, really good, man. Chris, wouldn't you agree? This is Yeah, I mean... John, I appreciate your 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 oh, no openness and vulnerability so much, man. I appreciate you. This is this is yeah. I mean, what's funny too, Chris, is you know, Chris helped me just write this memoir and uh, send me your address, or I'll just send it to post office. I mean, the post office pies. But Chris, like, there are a lot of similarities, huh? <laughs> I mean, we were joking. You were giving him some <laughs> shit about sounding like you, but I'm sitting here listening, being like, huh. I heard stuff like uh, remarkably similar to this. You ever asked someone to do the four yet? <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> but uh, you know, the thing is, like, John doesn't have John gets mad, but he doesn't have a crazy fucking temper like I do. You know what I mean? Like, you're way more yeah, but you're still chiller than me, man. In general, you're way more chill than me. <laughs> no, but that that working yeah. eighty five days and the whole like I, you know that that whole that same like Brandon go sort of like the only way out is through like you guys got that in common in spades, man. And and this this working hundred days, whatever it's gonna be, do whatever it takes. And and I, I mean, let me ask you this, John. Before before I have to jump, like you said, you signed the lease on the second place before mm-hmm. COVID. Is it actually? <laughs> Would you have necessarily not signed it if you had another month? Hmm. Well, that'll be determined in the, in the next week or so. <laughs> but I think I get the sense that you're crazy enough that you would have signed it anyway. I bet you would have you signed it anyway. I, it's funny you asked me that. And actually, I was wondering, what, was that going to be asked? Yeah, I, I, I think I still would have. Because also, too, uh, not to keep you, like we're putting ourselves in a certain demographic who might not have always came to the neighborhood we're at. That makes sense. That's right. And at the end of the day, like this, this, this is still a business, obviously dealing with the shit that we're dealing with. Like this is a business. So like a hundred percent, like it was a money move, you know what I mean? And even operating in the realms of COVID, once again, I saw an opportunity, like we could have probably took it to the lawyers and could have contested it. I'm sure they, there could have been some sort of legal, you know, finessing that could have probably got us out of it with the due circumstances, if really pressed. Also, too, I'm not trying to pay a lawyer fees like that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Shit, Yang, yeah. dude, when we I are talking my, the same. We're the same fucking person, Ryan. Right? Listen, 100%. when I call my lawyer and I call my fucking account, especially when I call my lawyer, I say, look, when I'm done with like just because he's also too a cool guy. But like, look, all right, I'm done. So look, you fucking stop the. They got <laughs> stop the uh, meter uh, stop the yeah, meter right, well, hey I got two questions motherfucker and then you're like that's uh, it yeah all right. <laughs> oh my god it's amazing dude uh, John I want to have you back on and um, talk about all the stuff that we talked about and I'm glad that you were so willing to share so much and no doubt listen when all this is over I'm gonna fly to New York and I'm gonna come I'm gonna come fucking <laughs> kick it with you we gotta like bro done. <laughs>